Welcome to Nonsense. Nonsense is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. Today I'm being joined by Aaron of Down to the Crossroads fame. How are you, my dear? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Oops. I, I am <laughs> prostrating my... Prostrate? Prostate? Yep. Nope. Nope. <laughs> my prostate is on the ground. <laughs> I'm prostrating nope. myself in front of you. Um, I should have said, which oh. Aaron... Cassava, not which, <laughs> which, which. Yeah, That's fantastic right. news. You want to? Uh, yeah. Well, I done got elevated. Done did <laughs> elevated. <laughs> yes, you may all call me witch now. Witch. No, 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 you all must. Must. I demand <laughs> no that you do it. Option. Every That's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was a. It was a big surprise. Actually, I had no idea it was coming. It's a huge feel good, though, right? Oh boy, howdy, is it? Yes. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, I know what this is. And I pulled it out and, you, you know, nothing quite prepares you for seeing that new red card and that nice, you know, certificate. It's a good mm. feeling, man. It's, it's really nice being recognized by people that you respect. Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, congratulations. I think that's absolutely fantastic. It is Thanks. well well deserved you've been doing years oh. of uh, nothing but representing satanism in a very very uh, responsible and positive way and and uh, i'm very proud of you good job oh, oh shucks thanks a lot <laughs> oh shucks oh, uh, for those listening uh shoot her an email tell her congratulations for fuck's sake and it is october 11th Hey, October. <laughs> we do have a fantastic show for you this week. Before we dive in, uh, let's do a little show note overrun, overrun, overview. Um, we're going to start with The Devil's Advocate. The article, or the essay, is Time to Start Kicking Ass by Anton LaVey. It is in The Devil's Notebook. And then we're going to do a little down to the crossroads episode. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I can't even speak. I, this water, I don't know. Someone spiked it. Uh, episode 37. What are we calling this one? Devil Dance Blues. Woo! Yep. Yeah. Yep. God damn it, I love me some October, and I me. love me some Devil. This is gonna be great. <laughs> I'm so I can't even say there are uh, there are a handful of things in October that I am insanely excited for. Yeah. Down to the Crossroads October episodes are mm. one of those things. Oh, this is gonna cool. be awesome. Thanks. Um, I hope so. <laughs> something different with Heather Height, episode 16, and then we're gonna close this thing out with a creature feature. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember, a long time ago I talked to author Ari Bach about his very first novel um, that was uh, titled Valhalla. Well, he's had uh, another release since then, a sequel, and then he has his trilogy closing book that's going to be released at the end of this month, right in time for Halloween. So uh, I'm going to talk to him about that, we're going to do an overview of the series, and uh, we'll give you a little taste of dialogue from that third book so look forward to that at the tail end um before we dive in i do want to let people know uh every october every halloween week episode i have it centered around greater magic and this year is no different except that we're going to be talking about your successes what's like for you to perform and see results in greater magic now we've talked about greater magic uh, with a bunch of gentlemen with a bunch of ladies about creating your own rituals, and we've even spoken to sort of the fringe ideas of greater magic with uh, Magister Nemo. I think that was last year. This year, it's all about you, the audience, and I've gotten some fantastic <laughs> responses 
so far. So I don't know if I can take a whole lot more, but I would encourage you all to bring them in anyway. Maybe I'll make it an extra long episode for you, but I want to know what it's like for you. If, if you perform rituals differently than in the Satanic Bible, let me know. If you have a particular uh, result that either was surprising or exciting or exactly what you wanted to happen, let me know. Again, I've gotten a lot of really great ones and some of the contributors are going to be giving me some of theirs as well. Erin, uh, are you... I know. I don't know. I've been racking my brain and I'm, there's so few stories that I care to tell. <laughs> some of these, that's the weird thing about me is like, this is the part that I like to keep all to myself. So I'm, I'm good. I'm still thinking about it. I've been thinking about it for a long time and I'm, I hope to have something for you. Well, if not, I completely respect that. Not every contributor and not every individual uh, Satanist is comfortable talking about this. It's very personal. Um, you know, these episodes are really based around the idea of celebrating what those are willing to celebrate. Um, but even if you're not going to do it publicly, it's important to recognize the results of greater magic mm -hmm. when they happen. It is essential for those witches and warlocks out there. So uh, do so on your own if you're not going to do it publicly. So that's okay. I cannot wait to hear the other submissions, though. I got some good ones. Man. Oh, I bet. I've had people send me some audio files, which is awesome. And then some of them send me stories, and I'm going to reach out to them and record with them. Cool. Um, and so it's going to be great. Look forward to it. It's going to be a really interesting one. And, and this is what's really exciting is, you know, traditionally, I've been forced to try to come up with guests and topics uh, on my own. This is exciting because you, the audience are giving me all of this content um, for this episode. And so it's it's really special in the series of Greater Magic episodes because mm -hmm. it's all about you, which, uh, which is fantastic. We have so many wonderful listeners that do so many incredibly interesting things. Um, now you're going to hear about a couple of them. So look forward to it, people. Yeah. Um, anything else? You, did you do anything fun this last week? Anything you have oh. planned for October? I, we are just partying the entire month of October. <laughs> I just get the biggest thrill, like such a tangible, like excitement in the air when it just like the the calendar flips to October and all of a sudden I come alive. Like, yeah. I hate summertime. I really don't like it. I hate the weather. <laughs> I hate all the sun. <laughs> no, I love, yeah. love with them. But when October <laughs> comes around, it's just like electricity in the air. And we just, I just love it. I love watching horror movies, doing all the, you know, baking and pumpkin shit. I don't give a fuck. Like, I am fully into October and Halloween and shit like that. Like, I missed a lot when I was a kid because, I mean, we celebrated the shit out of Halloween. But I also kind of hated it because I hated dressing up as a kid and I was one of those weirdos that you know every kid loves to dress up but not really <laughs> not me <laughs> um but now I'm sort of making up for it and I love I love everything about Halloween I love the imagery the music the movies so we watched this great movie last night the Babadook have you ever seen oh that yes movie? I love Babadook I fucking love that movie <laughs> I like I when it was over I was like I liked that and now today I'm fully like no I fucking love that movie <laughs> there's a book too that's gonna be out or it may already be out yeah like they did that's a kickstarter right like yeah like in the movie the book so right. I'm I'm hoping I don't know I'll have to look I haven't really followed up but yeah when it was released I had um there's a, a couple Satanists around here I had um, one of them come on over and we watched it together and it was mm -hmm. really fucking cool like it, it's one of those it's one of those low budget horror movies that it, it just 
it makes you fall in love with horror again. Yeah. It's not overproduced slasher gore. It's genuine horror. So it's like and thriller. It's, like it's yeah, psychological. The eyes of a child. Like oh my god. Fucking awesome. So yeah, that was a great one. So good. Um. Yeah. I've been it, it, as soon as uh, October one hits. It's every day. I come home. We have our dinner. Work out, kids. Let's watch a horror movie. <laughs> like, what do you want to watch? And we go through our universal horror favorites, our, our Nights of the Living Dead, and stuff like that. Um, it's it's just a, it's a ritual that we do every year, and it brings in the Halloween ex- um, experience for us. You had mentioned you, that. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was saying you you had mentioned that you dress up. Not anymore. I don't dress up. Oh, I hated you, it. even like parties. You don't go to parties and no, dress up. No, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't know. Color me fucking uh, shitty poopy pants, but... You're a shitty poopy pants. <laughs> I have... I mean, this is all... Every <laughs> one of my, like, shitty things I don't enjoy has everything to do with, like, my anxieties. You know, my body issues and shit like oh, that. Right. Like, I don't like dressing up because I don't like trying on clothes. I don't like looking in the mirror and going, oh, my God, this makes my ass look <laughs> disgusting. And, like, I, I fucking hate it. It's the same when I was a kid, like... I understand, I understand and, and I have no ill feelings for people who go to like dress up to go to conventions. Like I am just like, go for it, but I will never ever be that person. Yeah. But no, I don't dress up as an adult. I don't know. I love to say it's like, oh, I'm above it, but it's no, it's just the fact that like, I don't like trying on clothes. I don't like looking in the mirror. <laughs> I do it every year. I, I know. To. Some people I love, love it. it. Yeah. I love it so much. I, and I don't like, I don't go to conventions and dress like Spider-Man no, or something. No. But like <laughs> Halloween is just the time. So so this year I think there's a art on you Halloween party that's thrown every year and I think <laughs> this year we're going to go and um I think I'm going to be Man of Steel Superman and my wife is going to be Wonder Woman. <laughs> nice. So it's going to be pretty hokey as far as characters, but right. uh, I'm looking forward to it. Not scary. Like- usually we do like scary or dead or something like that, but uh-huh. I think this year I'm going to go I'm going to go classic. I mean, every year I do, like, fantasize, like, oh, I, I'm going to, you know, this year I'm going to be Lavinia from Dr. Fives, or, you know, I'm going to be mm-hmm. somebody, like, um, but, I, you know, it's all fantasy, because yeah. <laughs> I'll never go through with it. I'm also not very, like, you know, I don't want to spend the time making costumes and shit like that. <laughs> I have that kind of time, but I love people who dress up. I love people who go, you know, fully into it, yeah. but, yeah, I love to put, I put on Hammer Horror movies and just... That's how I get really oh, into yeah. the Halloween movie. Like, it's just watch all those old Hammer horror movies. Is there is there a movie that you see every single year? Oh. Like, sort of your go-to Halloween movie? Um, I'll watch the Friday the 13th movies, mostly. I know oh, really? that's not... Yeah, oh, those are my favorite. That's my favorite series, like... Because oh, wow. I just grew up on it. That's what I yeah. watched. That was my jam. Like, I love all of them. I love you know all of them michael myers and and freddy and all that shit but jason was the quintessential monster to me when i was a kid because that cool. like because freddy didn't i freddy didn't scare me nearly as much because i knew like comedy more but. yeah it was just like in your you know it was so fantastical like it never could happen but jason like a crazy retard could totally bust down my door and, <laughs> and you know kill me mid fuck like that could totally happen <laughs> <laughs> so, and he would have retard strength, so he could totally break the door down. <laughs> I mean, Jason before he became like supernatural and like no one could kill him. Like when Jason was just like a crazy dude in the woods. Yeah, man, that shit scared me. So I'll watch that to really get me in the mood. But and any of the Hammer horror movies, um, I'll watch 
you know, name any one of them and I'll watch yeah. it again. But cool. and I love the documentaries. We watched the um, like the Friday the Thirteenth documentary that they made, and uh, they made a um, Nightmare on Elm Street documentary. Yeah, it like was that so one. so good, and like a hundred hours worth of a documentary right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that stuff. Yeah, my go-to Halloween movie is always Night of the Living Dead. Like, yeah. once we've watched that, like, the entire family, my daughter, too, we watch that as a family every year, and it's just, like, it, it brings us in. Like, this is, this is it. It's got yeah. gore. It's got, like, suspense and terror and excitement and, and lost hope, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I yeah. think is important. Important for little children to understand. There's no hope in life. You're going to die. Even by the people <laughs> trying to save you. Um, uh-huh. That's good. All right. Well, let's um, let's dive into this because I'm really yeah. excited to talk about this essay here. All right. In nominate in Austria's Thomas in the name of Satan, the ruler of the earth, the king. Though I'm an active member, I do not speak for the Church of Satan. Lest we forget, Satan is the accuser, the challenger of moldy opinion and tiresome concepts. In his sense. Uh oh, <laughs> senescence. <laughs> Christianity seems to be pulling all its old chestnuts out of the fire and creating the most irrational witch hunt ever. Hysteria is not only heated but encouraged. Indeed, one wonders about the unquestioning gullibility of not only the general public but specifically those in positions of authority. We do not molest children or sacrifice animals, but it's open season on the kind of creeps who accuse us of doing so. For them, torture is too sweet. For centuries, Satanism has been a paper tiger, a smokescreen, a straw man, perpetuated for the vested interests of Christian dogma. Never before had organized Satanists come forth to challenge the convenient falsehoods. Sure, there were the devil's advocates, Tom Paine, Ben Franklin, Shaw, Twain, London, Wells, but they posed little threat to Christianity as a whole. But when you get many thousands of kids cheering real satanic symbols and giving the sign of the horns, now that's a real threat. When a book written by a Satanist for Satanists is read, translated, and reread by millions, now that's a threat. Satanism is dangerous in that it encourages strong relationships between two people rather than mechanical adherence to programmed group activity. Loyalty to a mate or friend, even a pet, is more dangerous to a despotic regime than enthusiasm for causes. Satanism is dangerous for the economy in that it advocates conservation of enjoyable and useful artifacts of the past rather than acquiring the new for the newness sake. Yes, the power is in our hands. We are more than ever the accusers. Remember, it is our position, our role to serve as tribunal to those who pretentiously play act as nemeses. The thought of answering their accusations of defending our position must become an absurdity. Let's put them to the test. Let's interrogate. Let's demand the whys and wherefores of their silly hysterics. We must scourge unreason with inquisitorial intensity and show them the ridicule they deserve. We are what their old teachers didn't anticipate. There is nothing in their rule book that can, can contend with real devils that do not succumb to mythic banishments. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, so we mm-hmm. we jumped a couple paragraphs there yeah. just to sort of hit the the main points. Anton Lavey does a really wonderful job of of uh, explaining his thoughts through his writing. But I really wanted to hit these high points so that we mm. could uh, discuss it between the two of us. Um, you did great. That was awesome. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> so there's there's a call to action. Time mm. to start kicking ass. <laughs> the scourge of Christianity is. 
really painting Satanists in a negative light. It is time for us to take action upon them. He never says what we should do. He does mention very strongly that we are not a group actionable uh, or uh, we do not act together as a, a uniform herd mm -hmm. uh, like Christians do. That's lost on some Satanists out there, or some people yeah. that self-identify as Satanists, obviously, <laughs> if you're paying attention to uh, news. But I can see how they would think uh, that that Anton LaVey is somehow encouraging uh, group action, even though in the next uh, paragraph he's saying <laughs> that we do not conform to herd ideas and organization. <laughs> um, what do you what do you think, Aaron? What do you think would be a good way of of striking out uh, as a Satanist uh, and and not allowing uh, our our good name, <laughs> our bad name of being <laughs> sullied by uh, those out there doing so? Well, I think the first step is to just correct misconceptions whenever you find them you know anytime someone posts that you know those kooks that whose name we shall not mention like anytime someone posts that on my page or something like oh i heard you like you know i heard you worship the devil isn't this great <laughs> you know it's it's then that you have a chance to say all right that's not what we're about here's what we're about i think that's always the sort of easiest way because instead mm -hmm. of taking sort of an, a very active role because that's off-putting we don't proselytize it's not our deal um and you know of course be the satanist that you want to represent you know be the satanist that you want that people should want to be <laughs> if that makes any sense you know what i mean like, no I, I yeah i love what you're saying there in that we need to represent ourselves in the manner that we expect people to see Satanists. Exactly what I was trying to say. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, if <laughs> if, if we expect people to think of Satanists as um, propagandists and uh, sort of play-acting groupies in a cemetery, well then, by all means, there's people doing that, but that's not us. That's not who and what we are. <laughs> But that doesn't mean that, that we can't kick ass in our own individual ways. And that's also not to say that we need to go out and, and be out as a Satanist. Mm -hmm. um, so I have, I've spoken to this at the Year 50 Conclave. Um, I've spoken to it on this podcast. There's a website out there, greatersataniconversation.com, speaking to it. It is something that is really, really important that if you self-identify as a Satanist, you and and this is only if you understand <laughs> as you're self-identifying because let's be honest i've met a number of satanists i've even met members of the church of satan who now not people in hierarchy position but like you know people who send in 200 dollars and get a red card mm -hmm. that have no idea what the fuck they're talking about like people have reached out to me and i, I actually the the most recent i i forwarded this on to central but there was this like wacko publisher saying hey right. we got the the new greatest author for satanism it's a follow-up to the satanic bible by this douchebag they didn't call him that oh my god um, yeah it's was, it was like this 427 open page open. oh my god like fuck i'm not if that's genuine if you're listening to this podcast and, and you think that that is what I want to promote, or not me, but any Satanist that contributes to this podcast, or any Satanist that is 
someone who actually understands what Satanism is in the Church of Satan, there's no fucking way that you could think that that would be something that we would be open to. <laughs> Satanism is defined and codified by Anton LaVey and Magus Gilmore, the two high priests of the Church of Satan, um, mm -hmm. the late Anton LaVey and the current um, Magus Gilmore. It is important that everyone understands that, and, and Satanism in and of itself is not this fluid, uh, growing ideology. That's never what it was right. about. It's not into up for interpretation. <laughs> and what's worse is that that says that if we can evolve Satanism, then where it came from was just manufactured. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's easy for Christians to say, well, you know, we, we need to evolve and change with the times because it was created in a specific time about specific ideas that have grown out of date. That's not Satanism. Satanism mm -hmm. takes into account path, I'm sorry, past orthodoxies. It mm -hmm. takes into account recognizing human expression and experience throughout all of history, consolidates it into a uh, a logical reason-based religion. So there's no way that it could. If 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 you understand that Satanism is about being a human being and recognizing our strengths and weaknesses and using lesser and greater magic to move about and command our environments, that is what Satanism is. If you want to look at, uh, at how Satanists uh, interact with the world or what our goals are as Satanists in the Church of Satan, pentagonal revisionism. It's right there. It has nothing to do with anything else. And there's no such thing as evolving it or, or versions of it. That's, you know, in the time that Time to Start Kicking Ass was written, the largest opposer to uh, Satanism was Christianity. And so mm -hmm. that was the subject of the essay. Are there other ones that you can think of, Aaron, that are pretty large detractors, intentionally or not, uh, to not only the organization, but specifically to Satanism? Now Any other... Oh my god, Chris, uh, oh boy. <laughs> I love when you put me on the hot spot like this. Yeah, I should probably give you a little more. <laughs> well, any warning, I guess. I don't know. I could, I could, I can't think of one off the top of my head. I mean, the big bad guy du jour right now is Islam. Oh, um, oh, oh, oh. But Islam doesn't really <laughs> specific, you know, they're more anti-Christian than they are, <laughs> and, and anti-Jew uh, than they are anti Satanism. Yeah, I don't think um, they even have heard of us. <laughs> it's not even on the radar. Yeah. Um, they're more anti-infidel, which is sort of encapsulates everything that is not Islam. Yeah. Oh, sure. But, you know, if I'm thinking, I mean, if evangelists are always out there uh, mm -hmm. spreading their lies uh, and uh, false dogmas, I would say the, the greatest threat right now to Satanism um, and not to say that a threat to Satanism is actually going to alter or affect Satanism as <laughs> a whole, but just that the greatest opposers out there yeah, I think um, I know where you're going. are yeah. pseudos. Yeah, exactly. I mean that, exactly. Yep. <laughs> they're the ones misrepresenting. You know, it's one thing to have someone from the outside, yeah. uh, supposedly from the outside, um, looking back at these people saying, they are evil and they do this and that and it is bad. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's another whole thing entirely to have someone who is also on the outside, but thinks they're on the inside, right. saying, this is what we are, get them! Yeah. I, 
I mean, it's, it's, conf- it's, it's <laughs> it confuses the, the problem, you know, then you have people thinking that we actually worship Satan or we actually, you know, or whatever, all these misconceptions absolutely are, wor- you know, yeah. our biggest threat is the pseudos and because they want to call themselves Satanists, you know, mm-hmm. and then they, anything they say, we have to, you know, we have to work double time to dispel the myths and the bullshit that they're talking about. Yeah, there's something that um, Anton LaVey speaks to specifically in this article about uh, Christians and occult professionals uh-huh. where they ha- they need no proof of their mm-hmm. expertise. They just simply have to add some sort of title to themselves yeah. and suddenly they're experts. It's the exact same way with pseudo-Satanists. Yeah. There's no possible way that you could have some sort of expertise or... or uh, specialty greater than the administrators of the Church of Satan. And yet, any asshole that wants to (laughs) self-identify and just suddenly comes out online saying, you know what, today, I realized I'm a Satanist and I just killed a cat in his name. (laughs) Who's going to say different? Like, that is truth to the masses. And so it is incredibly frustrating for those of us who have been living as Satanists for decades upon decades that have been actively working against lies like that in our own individual ways. And then you run across other Satanists who say nothing, who do nothing, who are just okay with it being out, seemingly okay because silence is consent. It's frustrating to me as an open Satanist to see I respect other people's um, uh, desire to remain um, secretive, and I think it's really important for some people to remain individually, secretly a Satanist. But I don't like people who just let things, let, let statements pass by them yeah. unregistered. You yeah. don't have to be an out Satanist to correct misinformation. You don't have to out yourself to everyone around you in mm-hmm. order to positively represent Satanism. There are a lot of ways that you can do it. Again, if you just go to that website, go to Nine Cents and find the Greater Satanic Conversation, find information on it, read the literature that essays and not, collections of essays that um, uh, members of the hierarchy have written and released. These are wonderful ways of combating pseudo-satanic thoughts. It is time to start kicking ass. It is relevant when Anton LaVey originally wrote this, and it is absolutely relevant to today, and there will never be a time, I don't think, that we will not have to be vigilant about kicking ass and about standing up and saying, without having to out yourself, that is not Satanism, that is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Tie it to past efforts. That You're, you're trying to, to uh, start a shitstorm just like the satanic panic in the 80s. It is a lie. We have to recognize it and we have to correct it. It is the only way that people are ever going to, or we are going to be able to self-represent effectively. Because like it or not, every time someone stands up and says, I believe in a spiritual Satan, People hear it, yeah. and they believe it. <laughs> and now they're forced to think, well, is he right, or are they right? And they're not going to take the time to think. They're just going to say, well, I know Satan is a spiritual thing, because that's collectively what we've been told as Christian believers, so he's right. There is a Satan, and that's what Satanists are. And fuck no, I don't want to be identified <laughs> with that. So it is incumbent it, upon us individually. 
Yeah. It's so laughable to us when people say that. Like, we're like, how could anyone believe that? That we think that there's an actual Satan who, like, has it takes an actual active role in our lives. <laughs> like, to us, that seems bananas. But you have to think like a Christian. Like, they actually do believe in Satan. Like, to them, Satan is a, th- a an actual being. And, like, to me, when if anyone ever says that, I just, like... I laugh it off. I'm like, no one really thinks that. And then I remember that, no, Christians, a lot of them really do think that, that there is an actual devil and that we worship him in some way. Yeah. So crazy. (laughs) It is important to recognize pseudo-Satanists not as misunderstood Satanists, but rather as Christians posing as Satanists. Because they do literally believe in a spiritual being or a physical entity that is the devil. And that is not a Satanic idea. (laughs) That is a Christian idea. So they may call themselves anything they want, but the reality is they're Christians. And they're doing that same old tired exercise of demonizing Satanists. Yeah, yeah. It's just from a different position, and we cannot let it slide. So um, get out there. Read the Satanic um, Bible. The Devil's Notebook is an amazing collection of so essays. Good. It is crazy good. And Anton LaVey does a really wonderful job of, well, I mean, he's just incredibly brilliant writer anyway. But this essay, he does a really wonderful job of, of going into detail about uh, the, the Christians and their um, their methods and some of the music and movies and oh. individuals that represent and mm-hmm. misrepresent Satanism. So do yourselves a favor, read the essay in The Devil's Notebook. And uh, yeah, that's going to do it. Should we, should we yeah. do a little down the crossroads? Oh my God, I'd love to. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Stay out in this blackout? Sure is dark tonight. Thank you for the ride, sir. I think I'll be fine. See yourself. What are you doing out here? Oh, I'm, I'm headed down to the crossroads. <laughs> Wait, miss. You can't be. You're the... You're the devil. devil. But you're... You're beautiful. beautiful. Just sign here. Oh my god. Hey everybody, it's your good pal, Aaron. I mean, witch coupons. Yeah! <laughs> Alright, I've got to get used to that. I probably won't ever really say that. And <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> anyway, this is Down to the Crossroads, and, um... The theme 
for this month is well okay so it started with you know halloween because it's october and to me october is halloween awareness month um so uh but then I started doing some research and I found this great document records, um, puts out tons and tons of great music and they have, um, a Halloween album this year. And these songs, I will give complete my hat tip to them. I pulled all three of these songs from them. Um, but there is a theme. Um, and I know I've, I've talked about, I've talked about the devil before on the show, <laughs> Maybe but this is all three of these songs have something to do with the devil. And I decided to, um, talk about how, blues represents the devil differently in you know and you know every song that they talk about the devil it's, it's a different kind of devil you know um so in blue, these blues songs the devil can represent the actual devil you know when you sell your soul to the actual devil it's funny it's funny how sometimes my down to the crossroom theme unintentionally jibes with something we talked about earlier like we talked about <laughs> yeah. this i mean this fits so nicely lot, actually i think we're maybe psychically connected adam um mm-hmm. <laughs> but this so this kind of plays into what we were talking about with in the devil's advocate about how they're you know um we did touch on how there's different ideas about the devil so anyway the devil dance blues is the is the name of this one Let's see, let's go ahead and hit play and I'll just jibber jab. Oh, so everyone, can, you know, yeah. yeah, I should tell everyone where to go, I guess. So Spotify, I'm going to go to my Facebook page. I'll put the link to the Spotify link. And I also have the um, YouTube playlist that I made. Uh, I'll put that up there. So follow along or listen later. We're going to, we're still doing the playing 30 seconds of each song at the beginning. Yes, ma'am. So you'll hear a little bit and then it's your fucking duty to go find the YouTube page and find the Spotify page. But all you have to do is go to Down in the Crossroads Facebook page. I'll put it all out there for you and, you know, just sync them up or listen later or or don't and go fuck yourself. See if I can ever <laughs> shit like that. But <laughs> no, no, it's way more fun when you listen to the music, obviously. For sure. yeah. Otherwise, I'm just blah, 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 blah. All right, so let, I'm going to hit play on this first song. This is Sippy Wallace. It's this Devil Dance Blues where I got the name of the episode. So, I mean, it starts immediately. And what I love about this music is this, there's this barrel house just rollicking feel to it immediately. It, it's boozy. You know, it starts out just with that boozy horns. But anyway, in, the, in this song... Let me shut up for a second and let listen, people listen while it's still playing. <laughs> so, yeah, Sippy Wallace, born Beulah Thomas, which Beulah, first of all, is the greatest name I've ever heard. If I had a kid, <laughs> I'd, my firstborn would be named Beulah, whether it's a girl or a boy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Beulah, anyway, so in this song, Devil Dance Blues, she's talking... That in in this song, the devil represents for her. What the hell is going on? I know. On? I swear to God, I don't know what all that ruckus is. Uh, <laughs> basically, she's talking about she had a dream last night and it filled me with fright. And she went to a dance hall where the devil had a band and he was playing in this hall. So Sippy Wallace, she was the daughter of a deacon. You know, she grew up in the church. She grew up singing in the church. So this is my interpretation that this song is about 
in this, it sort of represents the devil's music, the fight that a lot of the blues artists had within themselves at the time, because Sippy was a gospel singer. She grew up in the church, like I said, daughter of a Baptist deacon, sang and played piano in the church, but her, um, her first big break and how she became famous was in these traveling tent shows. Like, so at night after church, you know, she'd sneak out and she'd go to these big tent shows where they were singing the devil's music and, you know, but she was this little church girl, you know, she showed up at these places and there was the like devil's music. They were playing the blues. So this song, it seems to me like she had a dream. She was dancing in this great big show. And to me, it this is the struggle that a lot of blues singers had was the fact that they grew they all grew up in christians they all grew up mm -hmm. going to church you know but they loved the blues they wanted to sing the blues so it's like this inner struggle that they had where they wanted to be true to their christian christian roots but they wanted to sing the devil's music and then you know it's it kind of come on like isn't didn't you see like the tug that we all feel toward the dark side like even the christian even the good girls you know even everybody has this there's some there's a deep, dark, mysterious pull that the devil just has on people. <laughs> we understand it. We give a, give into it, you know? Celebrate. <laughs> Christians, they fight it, exactly. And so... Oh, I love that, though. But she's just it, great, yeah. Yeah, and that horn behind her, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's just, it, to me, it's so evocative. I mean, I talk about that all the time, just the sound that this... Cre the, the, you know, we talked about... Um, pentagonal revisionism earlier but like the, the idea of total environment you know you listen to this song and you are transported you're taken somewhere mm. yeah, oh so, man yeah, yeah it was great I, I love what you were saying about um how how they're drawn to this <laughs> thing that they've been taught their entire lives they should be actively resisting mm -hmm. in order to be saved or be good or be accepted or something but all blues musicians they even if they self-identify as Christian, they are doing the devil's work. Mm -hmm. How and how how wonderful is that? That yeah. the, the devil will not be denied. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, nope. He he will be exercised. Even if you <laughs> are are just fervently, actively trying to resist, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Do right. the worst. He's got you. <laughs> he's gonna get you no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah, all I love right. that track. That was beautiful. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I'm so so lucky that there are so many good blues songs. I am never ever gonna run out of material um, for the show, so mm -hmm. be prepared. <laughs> I'm gonna be here a long time. But... All right, let's hit play on the next song. This is our good pal, everybody, friend of the show, Sunny Boy yeah. Williamson. The first. Now, there are two Sunny Boy Williamsons that I know that I've spoken about, both of them on the show. Um, but this is the first one, the original Sunny Boy Williamson. This is him with a song, I've Been Dealing with the Devil. And uh, in this song, the devil is sort of the, the ultimate in evil. You know, this in, the, in this song, the devil represents... The, the meaner side of the devil, you know, <laughs> like the actual adversarial devil. Um, but basically he's talking, basically, I mean, in, in a lot of blues songs, the devil represents, you know, the tax collector or, a, you know, a mistreating woman. And this, that's the case in this song. This is about a woman, really. And she's, you know, the sort of tag, the hook to the song, he says, I'd sooner be sleeping with the devil. <laughs> and basically <laughs> this, this woman is 
fucking worse than that. She's meaner than <laughs> Satan himself, you know? She sleeps with an ice pick in her hand and she fights all, she fights in her sleep. Like, she's coming after me when we're trying to go to bed, you know? I love it. So this is, yeah, she's just, but this fucking Sonny Boy Williamson, he is easily the most important harmonica player of the of pre-war era blues he set the tone for all like anytime you hear a, a harmonica and blues songs it's sonny boy williamson's influence you know with that mm-hmm. interstitial sort of just an accent to the in-between verses that, that all came from him and that's why there is a sonny boy williamson too because he was you know uh, what was his name? Uh, Rice Miller, I think was his name. He took, he was just like, that Sonny boy, man, he's something else. Like, let me just <laughs> grab onto these coattails for a sec. But, yeah. you know, that's the testament to the fact that, you know, Sonny Boy Williamson the first was just so influential. And, but he died really, really young. He, I think he was 34 when he died. And it was like a strong arm arbory, uh, uh, robbery and was oh, just bludgeoned to death <laughs> at Shit. the age of 34 which is so but still like he's huge like no one's ever gonna forget who he is even at mm-hmm. even dying so young but he, yeah so he picked he they called him sunny boy because he was you know young he was about 16 when he started just kind of became an itinerant musician just took his harmonica and went just followed the mississippi river north to you know, wherever the music took him. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I mean, you kind of had to do that as, as a musician, yeah. if you wanted to actually eat, like you had yep. to just travel. You couldn't just go where the money in is. Your town. Yeah. Yeah. And just expect go. your local citizens to, to pay your way. Yeah. That was great. I, Sonny yeah. boy Williamson is amazing in that his, his pacing in, mm-hmm. in one second, he's like jamming in tons of information. And then he does this long draw out. And then he yeah. dives in with a harmonica. It is so <laughs> great. It is, you're not listening to something that's just like like one tone. Like yeah. your ear is is being actively like just moved. Like you, you can't help but pay attention to what's happening. It's just so great. Damn, yeah. Incredibly dynamic music. <laughs> mm. All right. So our third song that I, – I, I hear that the Spotify link may not play the third song, so you might have to go to YouTube for this, folks. And Mississippi Sheiks is the, is the group, and the song's called I Am the Devil. So we hit play on this, and this was recorded in 1934. This is the Mississippi Sheiks, and they are, like, sort of... Yeah, man, I'll be quiet for a second, get a taste of this. So you hear strings. Which is probably the first thing you're just like, wait a minute, like, I didn't know they were string, you know, of course there's, you know, fiddle has been around way, way before the blues, and the Mississippi Sheiks were kind of the preeminent, uh, string, banjo, blues group, but it's a bunch of brothers, it was the Chapman family, um, I think there were three of the brothers, and there was another guy, Walter Vinson, who was not part of the family, but they all played together, and one of the Chapman boys, Art Murr, but they called him, he went by the name Bo Carter, but he recorded a bunch of music too on his own, like real dirty blues, like the um, Fruit Basket, like just all the innuendos, Bo Carter was, the, he was the man if you wanted to like talk about dick size and and sex and blues music, but he was your man. But uh, so in this song, The Devil is basically, in this they're bragging, they're using the devil as the symbol of of evil but in the sort of playful like 
um, the adversary, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, he's just sort of a bad influence. Like they're just like, yeah, you know, come on, take a puff or come on, have a sip. Like, what's it going to do? What's the worst that could happen? You know, <laughs> that sort of adversary sort of prankster impish devil. You know, they, they're talking about staying out, staying out all night, getting drunk and going, you know, just raising hell basically. Oh yeah. That sounds so good. Yeah. I really do love that Mississippi Hills string, you know? Yeah. It's so, it seems so simple, but, but it's used to such great effect. You know, it's, it's used as an accent. It's sort of like what the harmonica is doing in that Sonny Boy Williamson song. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Or the horn in the Sippy Wallace. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, that's nice. Yeah. But you know, they say... (laughs) devil is a man in your face he'll grin and he'll want to do is just you know you just want to sin a little bit you know it's just like just get in there have a little fun you know <laughs> it is very much something you know you, everyone has a friend that that's the <laughs> devil in this context mm-hmm. that they just sort of hey let's let's do this or let's do that or you know let's try this a little bit more what can you think of uh, the last are you that friend or do you have, have you <laughs> no, had a lot I'm, of friends? No, like if there was like, a, you know, the angel and devil on the shoulder whispering in your ear, I'm definitely the angel <laughs> in the sense of like actual right and wrong. Like, don't yeah, do yeah. that. No, I'm the one that's like, oh, I don't think we should. <laughs> you know, I have a friend, I, I'm a smoker and I have a friend who sort of um, likes to smoke or we're not supposed to go smoke cigarettes you know and i'm just mm-hmm. like i'm i'm always the one that's just like ah i'm not really comfortable with that like i'm just not good at breaking <laughs> rules you know yeah. i'm the i'm the angel on people's shoulder instead of the devil but i know i mean josh is the devil <laughs> i must say <laughs> i was trying to think of examples but yeah like he's the bad influence <laughs> in my eyes. yeah no that's great i i love that I, in in every in every aspect of your life, you run into these people that are like that that, that mm-hmm. just try to push you to do things, and and objectively, everyone understands right or wrong in the context of their own lives, and so you know whatever that person is trying to push you in that's wrong to you, not this sort mm-hmm. of overarching good or bad, but um yeah, it's it, for me, I think the. The greatest thing, and I, I don't mean this as an insult because you brought it up, but uh, <laughs> like with quitting smoking, like mm-hmm. shaking that demon because um, I, I every friend I had was just, and this is when I was in the military, they were mm-hmm. just like, hey, you know, we're not doing anything right now. We have a couple minutes. Let's go mm-hmm. have a smoke. And I'm just like, I'm trying to quit, fucker. Stop yeah, telling me, you know, stop, stop asking me if I want one and, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah. But, uh. Yeah, it's it's just pervasive throughout life. You're always going to have the devil to deal with, and so yep. you you need to meet him on your own terms and uh, <laughs> celebrate. That, this is so good, Devil Dance Blues. I love that because yeah. it, it's just so relevant to everyday life, to 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 how we not only in play in, in fiction and in, mm-hmm. in you know just spirit of what how we see the devil that that arch nemesis but he's the rebel like in yeah. a really good way right. um these artists are doing the exact same thing they're they're recognizing the many facets of the devil and celebrating it in their own way and through this medium of down to the crossroads we're you know allowing them to live forever in eternity and and celebrate the devil in their death and that's an amazing idea in and of itself 
Absolutely. Thank you very much. That was fantastic. It was my pleasure. <laughs> Ring in Halloween with the devil. Mm-hmm. Well, can you tell the good folks listening how they can reach out to the devil in Down to the Crossroads online? Well, yeah, I'm on Twitter at ChelseaGirl19, and I'm on Facebook at Down to the Crossroads, and I'm also there. You know, you can find me, my personal page, if you try a little hard. I'm like, I make it easy for you. But, <laughs> but yeah, let me know uh, what you think, and if you like, I, I have heard, I got some feedback from people about, remember last time I offered to, if I got enough you know, yeah. feedback, I might consider paying for the um, license so we can just play the songs. But I've heard from a couple people. I need to hear from a few more people before I put lay that money down. But mm-hmm. get in touch with me about whatever. You know, I love to chat. I'm super friendly. <laughs> yeah, you, you really are. Um, I, I would recommend that, too, to anyone. And, you know, when you're reaching out to her, congratulating her for being elevated <laughs> uh, to a witch, you can yeah. then say, you know what? I think it is worth listing. And maybe we should just put together, like, a crowdfunding page or something. Oh, hell. I hadn't even thought like about that. that. I forgot about that you could beg people online now for a <laughs> <laughs> How did I forget about that? Maybe we just do that. I don't know. Yeah. I got a lot of things happening this October, so maybe not this month. But yeah. No, uh, we need to think yeah. about that. So yeah, let's, <laughs> let's put a pin in that and, and uh, yeah. maybe come back to it later. All right, sounds great. So, um, uh, all right, let's do a little something different with Heather Height. Yay! Welcome to this week's edition of Something Different with Heather Height on Nine Cents. There's two things that I'm doing differently because I don't like how I sound and I want to improve that. One is I am no longer listening to myself through the headphones because I think I I might have mentioned it last week or the week before, but I think it makes it sound like I'm slowly slipping into a coma because it's loud in my ears and I'm trying to be quiet for some reason it's just psychological I guess the second thing I'm doing is I forget things while I'm trying to explain them even if I wrote it down like and but when I explain things to my son Chuck for some reason I remember everything and I sound pretty brilliant I think it might have something to do with him like thinking that I'm smart and me just feeding off of that so I have my my son Chuck here to listen to me ramble on um, this week about uh, women, the, the issue of women not being funny in comedy, which is silly to begin with. It all started with this, this journalist, Christopher Hitchens, and he wrote an article called Women Aren't Funny, which if you read it, no Darwinist worth his salt is going to disagree with this. He, he just, it's part of evolution, part of propagation of the species that men have developed the ability to make women laugh in order to get their dicks into them. Basically, oh, my son is 26, so I could say dicks to him. Um, <clears throat> so, the but it didn't really start with him because everybody's had like this idea 
I think that the idea of women not being funny actually started with the um, the feminist movement, probably. More, you know, because when you're burning your bras and and fighting for things, you don't come across as very funny. And there's a lot of feminists who get. I got in an argument with a feminist on Facebook, who's a comedian, because she posted that she um, was doing a feminist comedy show, and I commented, "That's this is great. Finally, somebody's." doing something feminist that's actually funny and she got mad at me <laughs> thus proving the fact <laughs> that feminists might have an issue with having a sense of humor that is not all women and i'm I'm, i haven't come i haven't come to terms with i might be a feminist i don't know if i am or not because i'm still not sure what it feminist means but <laughs> i so so christopher hitchens is also now the key word with him is journalist He's a journalist, and he's a journalist who likes to get attention, and or like to. He's dead now, by the way. He died. So, but he liked to get attention, and a great way to get attention is to piss off women in an article that you write for Vanity Fair. If you write an article for Vanity Fair or any magazine that has a large publication, and you're already a pretty well-known journalist, and you call it women aren't funny, or why women aren't funny, women are going to get pissed, and then as you might predict women comics who are famous wrote a retort and this is what's really embarrassing because these women that i i deeply admire who are brilliantly funny amy poehler was in on it and uh the chick with the scar from <laughs> who who was the head writer for saturday night live who i can't remember her name now um 30 rock you know what i'm talking about yeah. liz, liz lemon you know was and and there was it, they're they're in another comic they're just brilliant women and not just brilliant women they're brilliant fucking funny comics and writers but then they went and and made a fool out of all of us with vaginas by writing a retort that exactly mirrored every point that Christopher Hitchens made that um he said that women who are funny are usually women who um, or either I don't know what the the uh, the minority angle is, but the women women who are lesbians who also have to pick up other women was one of them. Um, minorities, fat women, you know, and and all that is true. And uh, he he wrote this in a way that he as if he was very very serious and there's no facetious tone to it kind of thing. So the women just got their panties in a bunch over it. But so then they write a retort and they point out like women who are funny. And every fucking one of them that they point out is like a lesbian or she's black. Wanda Sykes, lesbian and black, funniest person on the fucking planet. Double whammy. <laughs> lesbian and black. And there's some, some other... Oh, she, no, she's not really fat. You lesbian, black, and fat? Damn. That would you're fucking funny. be hilarious. <laughs> now, not all men are funny. I have met quite a few men who are just like not all together there you know and and there granted there's a pressure on guys who aren't funny because if you're not funny and you're a man and you can't make people laugh like the, it's just it seems like the pressure's on a little bit like you're just you're a dumbass now because you can't make people laugh or you don't get things or not you personally you as in because yeah. you're pretty funny you know and he's my kid so of course you're brilliant yeah you better be funny <laughs> not as funny as audrey may no uh, yeah 
hilarious. Audrey May is hilarious. Her timing. <laughs> she's got okay. impeccable timing. She's she's <laughs> going to be 16 this summer, and she's been this way since she could talk. Just that timing. She really is brilliant. Brilliant, brilliantly funny. I use some of her lines. Yeah. Like, uh, um, I was talking or having an exchange with Kevin Slaughter on Facebook, and and he was being a poop about a meme with a cat, <laughs> and I said, and I said, and then Kevin held up his no fun allowed sign, <laughs> which I got from Audrey May, who's very very funny and a girl, not fat, and kind of undecided about her sexuality. So, you know. There you go. But then, the, you know, you guys have had the pressure of being funny in the family. So it's scored high marks for and got you out of a lot of shit if you're funny yeah. with me. If you can make me laugh, then your penalties are probably softened a little bit, I would imagine. I'll remain. Um, that wasn't as good as Pat. Pat, oh, God, Pat got away with lots of stuff because he made me laugh. Fucking asshole. So not only is making people laugh part of, uh, it lends to the propagation of the species, like um, in the in the Women Aren't Funny article by Christopher Hitchens, but also it, it's, it's uh, self-preservation of children. Children who are funny are probably, unless it's in class, class clowns. Don't get away. Teachers... Teachers aren't fucking funny. No. Nope. <laughs> got no sense. No. I mean, I was sort of class clownish, but I was also adorable, and I looked so innocent that my teachers never thought I did anything wrong. If I came back from the bathroom smelling like cigarettes, I swear to God, most of my teachers would assume that other girls were smoking in the bathroom. <laughs> they would never think that it was me. Like, I just I had that innocent face that, you know the blonde hair and the light eyes you know white people stuff <laughs> we always look more innocent so yeah just so th another good example of a journalist or you know political pundit whatever who uh likes attention is ann coulter who decided all of a sudden that she has a problem with people joking around that she's transgender I showed you pictures of Ann Coulter here. Uh, She's yeah. the one with the, the Adam's apple. Yeah, Adam's She's got apple. big man hands. Yeah. She looks like... A tree. And she, uh, according to this article anyway, um, but it's an article from politicalo.com, so I don't know how reputable that is. Um, it says that she will sue every website or commentator to suggest that she's transgender. No, she won't. No. But she sure is going to get attention for saying that. And that's the point. Christopher Hitchens had like an inflammatory uh, headline for his article. Got him lots of attention. I didn't know who the fuck he was. I mean, he was a somebody, but I didn't know who he was until that happened. And now he's like this legendary, um, he'll be remembered as a legendary misogynist for all times <laughs> or until people forget about him altogether because he wrote an article called women aren't funny women are funny just uh, just as much as men are funny another aspect of um people assuming that female that women aren't funny is the um lower percentage of female comics to male comics but there's a very good socio-economical reason for that because women are more likely to stay home and raise their kids, and then, like me, 
when they're in their 30s <laughs> decide to go into comedy or show business or pursue some dream like that. Whereas, you know, lesbian women like Ellen, we could start out very young, just like the guys, and they're very, she's very fucking funny, you know? So it's, um, I mean, lesbian women also can raise children, you know? I don't have to really say that. I don't have to qualify that, do I? But, <clears throat> like, the... So that's another, that's, that's one reason. That actually a comic, uh, comedy club owner, Scott Bruce, remember Scott? Yeah, yeah, I remember. He actually gave me that argument because way before Christopher Hitchens wrote that article that I agreed with in, in, a, in a lot of ways and understand his, his, uh, his angle, you know, I was saying, I don't think that women have a sense of humor. I was saying it for years. Like, I really just don't think that women are very funny. I don't. And and Scott disagreed. He's like, no, it's. And I'm like, what about the uh, ratio of men to women stand-up comics? And he's the one who said, well, a lot of women go into it later in life, or if at all. And especially in the early days, like Joan Rivers started out kind not super late, you know, but a little later in life. Phyllis Diller started the same age I did, 37. Shit. So they they stayed home. They had husbands. They took care of their kids. It's not as big a deal now, you know. Yeah. Like women can go and have careers and never have kids now and it's not that big of a, you know, thing. It's yeah. no not really even. I don't think it's it's a uh, something that people scoff at, but there's always somebody to scoff, you know. <laughs> so when I was uh pregnant with Audrey May and she was number 4, actually joined a uh, support group online for parents of three or more children because so many people had a problem with people who had a lot of kids and and a lot of Satanists actually have, you know, take issue with that or mention, you know, breeders. And I happen to be a breeder. Marilyn. Marilyn also happens to be a breeder. We just are. We love having babies. I have a thing for having babies. It's a good thing that there's a limit on the uh, time in a woman's life that she can have children. Cause I, and it's a good thing that I had a brain because if I didn't, we would have just lived in a trailer park and you'd have like 10 siblings <laughs> and we'd be fundamentalist Christians. Oh God. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so there's my angle. Um, my, uh, opinion anyway on the women aren't funny argument there is it isn't really an argument anybody who buys into the christopher hitchens article is just buying into just being lured in by his his uh headline and if you believe that regardless of of all of the evidence to the contrary then you're a retard I've had men in audiences who had decided that I wasn't funny before I spoke. And that's a shame because, I mean, it might not be, uh, not that I'm all that great that you're miss- that people are just missing out on something great in the universe if they don't hear me speak. Um, there's other women who, who are also funny who they're going to miss out on because they've decided because of an article of a guy who they probably also never heard of before that. Or they might not even know he wrote the article because it's become part of the, the social vernacular that women aren't funny has, you know, to a great degree. To the degree that Bonnie, Bonnie McFarlane, um, remember when I, the, art, the uh, interview that I did with Rich Voss and Bonnie McFarlane, the husband and wife, oh, yeah, 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 in yeah. Penthouse Forum. And she she did a uh, a documentary called Women Aren't Funny. 
and she um she, her opinion is about the same as mine. Like, we don't walk around saying, I have a vagina, I'm a woman, I'm waiting to be offended, you know? Like, yeah. And she doesn't go on stage thinking, I'm a female comedian. She's just a comic, and she's just a writer. And and uh, so she, the, the documentary she made is kind of making fun of the entire idea that women aren't funny, you know? And not just... She doesn't give a shit if somebody wrote an article about women not being funny and she doesn't believe she has anything to prove because obviously she's a funny person. But she wanted to kind of poke fun at the uh, at the issue because that's it's not even it's a non-issue. It's ridiculous that it got blown up to this proportion. But I guess, you know, men who who like the idea that they're intrinsically funny because we value a sense of humor in our society. Just, you know, really clung on to that. Like, yes, caveman funny. I'm, I'm funny from the time that we developed the ability, you know, language abilities and making people laugh and getting laid and I'm funny. And, you know, they really wanted to own that. And then uh, decided that, yes, women are, they can't possibly really be funny. But, you know, again, I'm going to do another um, segment in the future. I was going to integrate it, but it, I just think that it should be separate, like, of funny women. Because there's just um, Gracie Allen of Burns and Allen. I know you probably never saw Burns and Allen, but you should. You know who George Burns was? No. Oh, wow. No. He doesn't know who George Burns was. All right, well. No, this is public. That's <laughs> all right. You're only 26 years old. You, you don't have to know who George Burns was. But he was. I feel like I do. He and his wife did a radio show back when, before TV, called, uh, I think it was called the Burns and Allen Show. And they were a comedy duo. They, they might have even started in vaudeville long, long time ago. He's the comic I told you about who actually booked his 100th um, birthday. He, he, he booked a show for his 100th birthday. He was, an, I'm going to, like, so, like, of course I'm going to be alive when I'm 100, you know? <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, Gracie Allen's, like, one of my favorite. And she she was the, you know, there's a straight guy, and there's, like, Adab Ad Abbott and Costello. Yeah. You remember them, right? Like, the, that uh, Lou Costello is the, the funny one, and then Abbott is the straight guy yeah you know so he delivers these things and then it gets the you know the funny guy gets to say the funny shit and they're both very funny well gracie allen was the funny one yeah. played kind of like um it was sort of a dingy housewife kind of character but really super clever and they wrote these things together and george burns who's a funny motherfucker was playing the straight character in that in that duo so, but I've gone on now for 17 minutes and, you know, I'm preaching to the choir because my son has to think women are funny, you know. I don't have to. No, you have to. <laughs> All right. <I> have to. <laughs> so this, uh, thank you for joining me for this week's segment of Something Different with Heather Height on Nine Cents. Say thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Um, look me up on uh, the uh, interwebs Heather Height I'm Heather Height everywhere H-E-I-G-H-T um, and uh, if you're on the Facebooks and you haven't yet like the Something Different with Heather Height fan page on Facebook 
I'm sure you'll be able to find it. If you, there can't be a lot of things called something different with Heather Height on Nine Cents. That's got to be a pretty elite group of things that are called that. There's one. So anyway, thank you very much. And I'll talk to you all next week. Hail Satan. You have brains. And, and, and I, you know, I just happen to think of something. What? I've got something that'll fit your brains. What? A little bit of a game. Would you like to play it? Oh, my type yes, game? Yes, your type game. You yes. love this game. See, the idea is I ask you something. You ask me the same thing, then I tell the funny answer. Oh. If, if, if I should say to you, why does a chicken cross the street? You must say, I don't know why does a chicken cross the street, then I tell the answer. Oh, yes, I understand. I tell all the funny answers. Yeah, you want to be the funny man. I'm the comedian. Yes, go ahead. Be funny. Uh, it'd be funny. Yes. Yes. Well, anyway, I'll tell all the answers. Yes. Uh, what fella in the army wears the largest hat? The fellow with the largest head. Was that right? That's the trouble, I mean. Huh? You have the right idea, but you're not doing me any good. You see, I'm supposed to say the fellow with the largest head. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see. I'm the funny fella. Yeah, well, try it again. Well, I'll try again. Yes. Uh, what is it that sings and has four legs? Two canaries. Doing very well. Well, I'll see you again. That's Was I wrong lovely. again? Lovely. You're never wrong. I've got one more. This is the last one. Yes. What gives more milk than a cow two cows? Uh, Seeing is believing. That's a story old and true. Don't believe all you hear. You've often heard that too. You dear and I, dear, are exceptions to the rule. You may think me giddy. Believe me, I'm no I love you, love you, love you, dear. I cross my heart, I do. Do you believe me? I do. Now you're the first and only girl I ever told that to. Do you believe me? I do. And if things went wrong and skies above are gray instead of blue, you wouldn't have to worry, cause I'd know just what to do. I'd get up early mornings and I'd find a job for you. Do you believe me? I'd mend your hose and fix your clothes. That's what I do for you. Do you believe me? I do. I'd cook your favorite dish, filter fish or Irish stew. Do you believe me? I do. And mother dear would visit us six months of every year. My mother knows just how to mind her business, never fear. She's not like other mothers, she's a perfect little dear. Do you believe me? I'm through. Ever had a question about religion but couldn't find the answer? Are you interested or skeptical about cults, magic, or ritual? My name is Witch Zaftig. I'm a scholar of religion and a witch in the Church of Satan. Allow me to research your questions and answer them on my nine-cent segment, Unorthodoxy with Witch Zaftig. I can address anything from Scientology to aliens, Moonies to ritual magic, even the Eucharist, and of course, all things satanic. Send your questions to zaftigworks at gmail.com. And tune in every month to Unorthodoxy with Witch Zaftig, only on 9centspodcast.com. Standing in the back door crying.
And now, ladies and gentlemen, the creature feature. <laughs> Welcome to another creature feature. Today I'm being joined by an old friend of the show, Ari Bach. You're going to remember our last conversation uh, was a little while ago, actually, but he just released his book, Valhalla. Now, this was a very large volume, a sci-fi novel, and it was amazing. Um, I really did enjoy it. Ari, thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on again. <laughs> I'm crazy excited about this. So I, I loved the first one. I had a really great conversation with you, and we really delved into what Valhalla was, what this project was, and your hopes and dreams for it moving forward. Um, now, some of that has come to fruition. You were picked up by a publisher, right? I was. I was picked up by Harmony Inc. Press in 2013 for a release in early 2014. And how did that release go? Uh, how was it received? Very well. Uh, the book is selling at exceptional levels. Uh, it's garnered quite a fan base online, especially on Tumblr. Mm -hmm. And um, the people I've met there are truly awesome people. I think I've got like the greatest fan base an author could possibly ask for. That's great. That's really great. Do you, let me ask you a quick question, sort of a sidestep here. As far as fan bases go, in my personal experience, it seems people are much more intense when it comes to sci-fi than they are with, say, fantasy or horror. Is, is that your experience too, or is it just depending on what you're into? Um, no, that's my experience too. I think uh, sci-fi and fantasy fans have something where they can get much deeper into the world. Like mm -hmm. there's no, uh, I'm sure there's a Charles Dickens fan base out there and I've <laughs> yeah, met yeah. some of them, but I haven't seen any, uh, tale of two cities cosplayers lately. <laughs> See, I haven't been to the New York comic con this year, so maybe, maybe there's <laughs> one or two. That'd be funny. Um, no, it, it, it is interesting because, uh, it's, heavily reliant upon the detail the in my opinion again the detail the author puts into the work so you have a lot of authors that would like to tell a story but not really give immense detail you however you give a ton of detail and you've created this really really rich world that you know isn't so far out of belief that you just can't get over that suspension of belief. I mean, you really buy into this this universe that you've created. How was that a challenge putting together? No, that's the fun part. Um, over, you know, the book took almost twenty years to write, at least for yeah. the whole trilogy, and adding bits and pieces. Whenever I read an interesting scientific article about what was just around the corner, I would add some sort of reference to that. Or when I read something about what cities will be like in 2230 or so, I could augment and alter what I was writing to match that or even spoof it. Yeah. Wow. Well, let's... um. Let's give the audience and the new listeners uh, a little bit of a backstory on what Valhalla is. You know, what's this world like that the books are written in? Valhalla is kind of a response to the current dystopian trend. It's not a dystopia at all. It's exactly what I think the world is going to be in a 
about 200 years. It's not perfect. It's far from perfect, mm-hmm. but it's not Hunger Games or Divergent or The Lottery or anything like that. It's just my take on what the world will be. And part of that encompasses the idea that um, the most obsolete people are going to be the violent-minded, vicious, cruel people that are so common today. Those people are probably going to be completely outcast in 200 years when brains are finally valued. And Mm -hmm. the idea behind Valhalla is that we can't actually get away from that completely. The people who we consider obsolete today are already the people who are keeping the world going. The people who we consider obsolete tomorrow are going to be that sort of person today who's already falling out of favor. That's not necessarily to say that I think violent, horrible people are the best people and we should all love and respect them regardlessly, but I think... Whatever the outcast is in any generation is actually going to have a lot more power over that generation than we tend to credit them with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, just as a Satanist, you know, we 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 latch on to that that sort of rebel ideology, and you sort of always root for the underdog, and they always kind of define the roles of the society itself because the the masses are sort of stepping around them or adjusting their behaviors because of them so it makes perfect sense that that those we outcast uh, have some some role in defining where that society goes um let's talk about the the hero or the heroine of of your story um can you give a little rundown on that and 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 also the um the the technologies that they use with their um their enhancement i'll say Well, to begin with the characters, the main character in books one and two would be Violet McRae, who is a a girl in her late teens who has quite a mean temper. Mm -hmm. Um, She's vicious and cruel, and she finds out at the end of the first book that she's quite delighted with being a sadistic type. In... The first book, it really explores the ancient hero archetypes, the Joseph Campbell material, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Ragnarok subverts that, and you start to see some of the problems with the people that the first book sort of outwardly praised. It takes all of the cliches and tropes and turns them on their head, and you see the utter destruction of that archetype. And then in book three, I'm not actually going to say whether Violet is in it at all because it's kind of a question at the end of Ragnarok whether she will be. But Vibeka, one of the other characters and Violet's almost girlfriend at some points, is definitely the main character of book three. She moves into a much more central role, though... There are some other characters, new ones and old ones, who take larger roles that um, the book really explores. And they aren't all that different from Violet in terms of who they are, especially Rebecca. She has more in common, I've said, with uh, Patrick Bateman than Katniss Everdeen. (laughs) um, Technologically speaking... 
it's not too huge a spoiler to say that most of the technology that got developed and looked at in depth over the first two books isn't necessarily going to be functional in the third book. The third book has more of a post-apocalyptic tone to it, wow. uh, to the events of the previous book. And... Um, Book three is going to show what these same characters can do without their technology and without their support system. So you'll really see them in terms of the action stripped down to their bare essentials and fighting not just to make the world a better place anymore, but for their survival. That's that's interesting because the the, the grand strengths of, of Valhalla, um, sort of the, the, the techie excitement was that they were able to learn things really quickly. I mean, human and, and technology were melded together. Um, can you speak to that really quick so we can get a good, solid idea of, of what it was like, um, being a human in that time, especially with that, that, the, the main cast, because they, you know, they did, I mean, they were linked up with technology, right? Yeah, it was kind of my response to the whole Matrix idea of downloading yeah. instructions on how to fly a helicopter or downloading Kung Fu. In the first book, uh, there's actually a character in the military camp who has downloaded all of the martial arts known to humankind. And the drill instructor, of course, walks right up to him and kicks his butt because your body has to learn that sort of thing. It's not just an exclusively mental thing. Yeah. In book three, the link is completely gone. So all of these people who have grown up learning only how to download whatever they need or some of the characters only are capable of reading if they have the internet to translate the text for them. Those people are going to be completely without those capabilities and I think that you see them at both their best and their worst. Um, it's always in the darkest times that we can really shine. So you'll see some people having humongous problems and dying as a result, and you'll see other people excelling beyond anything you think they were capable of before. Wow. Oh, man. Okay, so we've uh, spoken briefly to book three. When is that going to be out? That will be out on October 29th of 2015. Very, very soon, just a couple weeks away. And uh, what are we calling book three? Book three is called Guthriki, which is a bit hard to pronounce and even harder to spell since two of the <laughs> aren't common English letters. It's actually really annoying to type because every time I want to type the letter F, um, that's E-T-H is how the letter is spelled, but it looks like a D with a line through it and it's pronounced like T-H. And every time I want to type the name of the title, I have to go onto Wikipedia, copy the character, <laughs> and paste it into the text I'm writing. Yeah. So probably should have named it something a bit more uh, common English, but it actually really fits because the first book is Valhalla, which is Norse Heaven. The second book is Ragnarok, which is the Norse apocalypse, and then the third book, Guthriki, the name means kingdom of God in Icelandic, which is what comes after the apocalypse. Mm. So the whole trilogy has that arc to it, and the title 
kingdom of God has some other more disturbing connotations that you'll see once you read the book. Oh man, I cannot wait. So um, we've we've spoken at length in a past interview about Valhalla, but since we've spoken, book two Ragnarok has been released and it's been out, and now you have book three. So let's let's take a moment. Um, and what I would like to do in a little bit is have you give us a little bit of a passage from book three, if possible. Uh, sort of a teaser, wet in, the, wet in the, the, the beak of the listeners. But let's talk a little bit about book two, about Ragnarok. What, what's, the, what's the world like during Ragnarok? Uh, what's, what's our big plot points here you hit? And when Ragnar- was it released? <laughs> uh, Ragnarok came out, I believe, in December of 2014. Uh, possibly November, but I think December uh, 10th-ish. Mm-hmm. of 2014 and the world of Ragnarok starts out the first half is just like more of Valhalla it's your favorite characters kicking butt and blowing things up and having fun and then the second half of Ragnarok is exactly what the title suggests it's everything falling apart and all the bonds being broken and all of your favorite main characters dying horrible gruesome deaths <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Just as one would expect in Ragnarok. Um, what was it? What's it like uh, with this publisher? I mean, is it, it? Are they really demanding that you keep pumping out material, or are you just ready to get this stuff out at such a rapid pace now, since you've been working on it for so long? Uh, the three books were fairly easy to complete once I got picked up by the publisher. They are the best publisher I can possibly imagine existing. Not only do they pay better and treat the writers better than any major league publisher I've ever heard of, but they've given me pretty much complete autonomy on, in terms of control over the editing. You know, they've got their editors who go in and clean everything up and fix all my typos and make great suggestions, many of which I'm very happy to take. But I've got final say over everything, the title, the cover artwork, the controversial bits, and book three has some parts that I can honestly say no other publisher in the world would dare to publish. (laughs) First chapter alone of book three is going to be so controversial for reasons that as soon as it appears on Amazon and people start reading the sample, they will just be like, how on earth did somebody publish anything this? Uh, I don't want to spoil what it is, yeah. but uh, I can only say that given our uh, mutual affiliations and how we met, you're probably going to enjoy it a great deal. <laughs> I love it. Oh, yes. Well, I'm, I'm excited for that. Um, let's. C- can we get a little taste of uh, book three? Is there anything you'd be willing to share with us? Yeah, let me see if I can pull up just the right part. Okay. This is dialogue between Vibeka and another newer character, and they're talking about something that has mutated over the last couple months in the book, which is called Pissweed. Um, One of them says, You're allowing psychological matters to interfere with your senses. If you hadn't been told it smelled like urine, you wouldn't think it smelled like urine. You would find it smelled like other healthy monocots, only more powerfully. 
Vibeka responds, I'm not that weak-minded. Pissweed by any other name would spell, smell like piss. Whatever's wrong with me, it's not my sense of smell. She says, the fish you're eating tastes like Parmesan cheese. Vibeka thought about it. She was right. So what? That's butyric acid. Chemically speaking, the fish you're eating tastes as much like Parmesan cheese as it does like vomit, but it tastes pleasant to you. What's your point? Well, you'd rather chug barf than eat your asparagus, but you're calling me perverse. Rebecca stared at her. Why the fuck are you even talking? You're responsible for creating pissweed in that weird fish, but you experience both arbitrarily as good or bad. Rebecca took another bite of her fish. It tasted like vomit. She took another bite. It still tasted like vomit. You made my fish taste like barf, you fucking bitch. She threw her hands overboard and turned away from Nell, staring at the water. <laughs> That's a bit of a sample conversation from the next book. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. That's what I love about um, about your writing is you get a real sense of the characters when when you're reading your work. Uh, y you know, you spend a lot of time developing these these personalities, and they do all have different, strong in their own ways personalities. Um, is that ever challenging for you, uh, being able to look into the mind of a, a character you create? Um, no, again, that's one of the fun parts for me. Uh, the characters, once you sort of sort them out in the first place, they really do write themselves. And I think the real trick to writing is letting them determine the plot lines and the events rather than trying to cram all of your characters into a plot because you think – oh, this is a cool plot. I'll just have my characters act this way because I want this to happen. It's much more fun and I think more realistic to let the characters determine what happens on their own and to be willing to adjust your intended plot accordingly. The, the worst part of writer's block for a lot of the people who write into me asking, you know, how do you get around writer's block is things don't fit together. But if you let things evolve naturally, you never have to worry about that. Things just write themselves again. Do you think it's hard for most authors to allow their creations to dictate their story? I don't know how that is for many other people. I'm guessing George R. R. Martin doesn't have a big problem with it. Because <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> seem to be nothing but exactly what the characters would naturally do which is inevitably incredibly horrible and disgusting <laughs> and disturbing but for that more poetic justice kind of story where everything goes exactly how it quote unquote should go I think that that would be a lot harder to write, at least for me. I don't think I could ever write quite that way. Mm. I can put my characters into some sort of plot and keep them doing more or less what I need them to do. But especially when it comes to character interactions, I just need to set them loose and imagine what they would do with each other. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, I, I could never do anything like that. Um, you know, one of the... Um, one of the, the great elements about that first uh, novel, Valhalla, you released uh, was the artwork. You know, you, 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 you drew the, the cover art, correct? 
Yes, I drew the cover art for the original self-published version and then drew new artwork for the Harmony Inc. Press edition. The original artwork depicted a Takari coming out of somebody's chest and then the new version just depicts, it's actually Mishka's Takari, the butterfly-shaped one. And then books two and three have permutations of that. Book two has uh, the Takari missing, as it would be after book one, and the place it was rotted through. And then book three has a bright light shining through, which will make sense once you've read the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's that's one thing that I really love about uh, what you do is that you're – you're an accomplished artist on your own in your own right and an author and so when you know much in the same way uh, as i would imagine clive barker where he illustrates his world he sees it he doesn't just hear it in his head he envisions it and he can articulate that on paper i think that's really exciting to be able to see you do the same thing where you you're an artist and so you can you can put it down visually and through the written word and it's this harmonious relationship of creation that is is very very original um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, let's give uh, another shout out for the uh, third book title when it's released and uh, let the listeners know where they can uh, look a little more into this and pick up the past books. It's called Guthriki. If you want to search for it online, it's generally spelled G-U-D-S-R-I-K-I. -I. Uh, two of those letters are not quite exactly what they appear, but the internet will find them for you if you type that in um you can find it through the publisher harmony inc press and after october 29th you'll be able to find it wherever books are sold online on amazon where you'll be able to read a free sample and find out why i am so surprised that a publisher was actually willing to publish this book as is yeah. and any other site should have it i think uh I think the iTunes bookstore is the only thing that it's not on, but it's on everything from Google Play to Barnes & Noble and more. So is the digital versions are out as well? The digital versions will be out on the 29th. Um, it is available as an ebook from the publisher directly in pretty much any format that your e-reader can read. Mm -hmm. And then the paperback is also going to be out on the same date. Fantastic. Well, Ari, it is always a pleasure speaking with you. I am nothing but amazed by what you work and the work that you put out. Uh, it's truly stellar. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. It's always a pleasure to be on the show. Well, until we can chat again, hail Satan. Hail Satan. And that's going to do it for another show, people. And we do really, really hope you enjoy it. Now, you know what? I said two release. I'm going to redact one of those release. We really hope you enjoy it. Uh, I, uh, I'm going to add two to that. So oh, I'm going to make it really, really, really uh, hope. Uh, wait to fucking be a one-upper. Great job. <laughs> uh, we would love to hear from you, however. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let us know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. Also, keep in mind, greater magic successes, people. I'd love to see them. You can visit us in social media, SatanNet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace to get updated on weekly topics or contests or other projects that are out there that we think are worth sharing. Download the show Mondays via the RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. Podcast.com. We're also on Last FM, Stitcher, YouTube, iTunes, wherever you find us. Give us a rating, leave a comment, 
And remember to share Nine Cents. That's how we're going to continue moving this thing into the future, people. Remember, of course, if you self-identify as a Satanist, you better be looking at churchofsatan.com. You better be reading the Satanic Bible and the Satanic Scriptures. It's really important. You're really just doing yourself a favor no one else. Um, once again, thank you for joining me. And as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, being joined by... Aaron. Which Aaron? <laughs> which Aaron? Yeah! <laughs> Wait, which Aaron? Which Aaron. That's which Aaron. Yeah. Until next week, people, hail Satan! Hail Satan!